wanted to thank you for your generosity in a few different ways. We had, we had a thing this past week called Thanksgiving Mission OB, and uh, it was an, an incredible experience. Basically, what we did is we transformed this auditorium into a clothing boutique, and we gave away, I don't even know, hundreds, maybe thousands of pieces of clothing. Uh, you, if you've never been a part of something like this, you'll be amazed how much need there is within like a two-mile radius of this building. Like, there are so many people who are in need, and you guys rallied together and met so much of that need this past week. At the same time, we had teams that went over to uh, Candlelight Estates and passed out. Uh, we passed out 52 Thanksgiving meals, um, turkeys and side items, uh, which is so cool. And uh, we actually uh, did six of those, went to Calvary Rescue Mission, uh, the homeless shelter. Uh, and so you guys, your generosity blessed a whole lot of people. I think you should give yourselves a hand for stepping up. Uh, I'm so proud of every one of you guys. And what was the coolest thing to me, um, the generosity was awesome with, with our finances and with our things, but the generosity with your time. Thanksgiving week is not just the most relaxing week. It's not the week where people just have extra time on their hands. And we had over 50 people from City Church here Monday night. That's just so awesome to me. Like, to, I think our people get it. Like, we are not perfect. We are far from it. We are flawed and messed up in so many ways. But we get this one thing that, man, we're not living for ourselves. Uh, there is a bigger purpose to live for. And as your pastor, I just want you to know I'm proud of you and I'm thankful for you. Uh, it means so much to see so many people step up and get involved in a in making a difference as I drop the bottle of water. Amen. Uh, the stage is a little different today. I'm trying to get accustomed to it. Do you guys like the acoustic set? Y'all enjoy that? Uh, worship team, thank you. You guys are, are phenomenal. Go ahead and open in your Bible to James uh, chapter 3. Picking up uh, part 2 of our series on poison, this idea that, that the, our tongue actually has a poison in it, and, and we'll see kind of what this comes from here in James chapter 3. We're going to start today in verse 3. We're going to back up just a little bit from last week. Last week, if you weren't here, we talked about the poison of gossip, and uh, we, we pretty much just made a statement. We made a declaration together that we're going to be a place free from gossip. This is going to be a gossip-free zone. We are going to be a, a no-tolerance zone for gossip because it's so harmful. It hurts so many people, and, and it hurts the the kingdom of God. And so we, we looked at that poison, but today we're actually going to look at five more different poisons uh, that we can find with our tongue. And starting in verse 3 of James chapter 3, it says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. So, so James starts out by saying, you can control an entire beast. A horse is a big thing. Uh, you can control that just by putting something in its mouth. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and they're driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, in the same way, just like the bit in the mouth of the horse, just like the rudder on the ship, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. So James says that your tongue is just like the bit of a horse. It's just like the rudder of a ship, that it's in control of your body. Where your tongue goes, your body will follow. Your mind will follow. Your heart will follow. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Anybody come to church to get a word of encouragement today? Praise God, my tongue is set on fire by hell. 
It's going to get better, I promise. Uh, but th- this is truth that we have to accept and we have to acknowledge and wrestle with. Uh, verse 7 says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's where we kind of get our theme for this series. Let me say this. When James says that no man can tame the tongue, uh, I believe very strongly he's saying that you can't do it by yourself. I don't believe that he's saying that your tongue is out of control and is going to do whatever it wants to do. I think that's the opposite of what he's saying. What, he, what he's saying is that in the natural, in the flesh, um, all of us are going to say some really stupid things. Anybody else ever said something stupid, said something like, wow, how did that come out of my mouth? Um, and, and most of us, I would dare say, have probably had that happen even after salvation uh, because there, there's still a, a flesh nature, a sin nature in us. And, and we say some bad, just dumb, discouraging, terrible things sometimes. And I think that's what James is saying. But, but the truth is God has sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us and, and to enable us to be like Jesus. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then our tongue is not set on fire by hell. Jesus' tongue wasn't set on fire by hell. Jesus said the right things at the right times in the right ways every time. Uh, And so I do believe that we have the ability to to change some things. We have the ability to take control of this poison, to harness this poison, and to use our tongue in a different way. Uh, And then verse 9 says, with this tongue we praise our Lord and Father. I love praising God. I love the chance to worship him. And then this next verse just crunches my toes every time. Next part of this verse, he says, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and curses, my brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he's saying if you're going to be fresh water, which is what God has called us to be, that we're supposed to, to cleanse, we're supposed to heal, we're supposed to make a difference, we're supposed to encourage that we shouldn't have this salt flowing out of us, this bitterness, this causticness, this nastiness, that, that our words should be different. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you uh, five specific ways that our tongues can poison our relationships, can poison our lives, can, can poison those around us. Then we're going to bring it back and look at what we can do about it. But I think, first of all, we need to recognize the problem, because that's what James is so great at, is he's, he confronts us directly with the problem, with the issue. So in James uh, chapter 3 here, it says that our tongue is a poison. And, and there's many ways that our tongue can be a poison. But I want to show you five specific ones that I think we need to be aware of today. The first is this, is the poison of discouragement. The poison of discouragement. Um, discouragement is literally taking courage away from someone. Did you know that? That's literally where the word discourage comes from, to say something in such a way that it removes their courage. When I was a kid, I played baseball, and uh, I was much more slender at that point in my life, and I actually played center field. I was pretty quick and a pretty good defensive player, and I was the worst hitter you've ever seen. If you've ever seen Charlie Brown try to kick a football, that was me trying to hit a baseball. Um, I just was not going to work. It was like someone was moving the ball out of the way when I swung at it, and so I remember... (laughs) going out to bat. And my dad was so well-meaning. I had great parents and they built us up and encouraged us. But every time as I would get, to, get up to the bat, my, da- my dad would go, come on, Troy, you're due. And all I hear is, you haven't hit the ball in the last 30 times. 
Make something happen this time, buddy. Uh, and it was, I know he didn't mean it that way at all, but it was so discouraging to me. And as I got to play it, I remember just like looking out there at the pitcher and just being reminded that I can't do anything about this thing he's about to throw. I'm not going to hit this baseball. And it, it removed my courage. I would psych myself up, and then my dad would say, come on, Troy, you're due. And I finally told him about it, and he was like, that's not what I mean. I'm just trying to, to pick you up. I knew his heart was in the right place, but man, I hated that when he said it. It was discouraging. Um, so that's the first poison that we can see that, that many of us use. Uh, I don't know how many of us in this room, if we were honest, would say there are times where, man, I poison people with discouragement. I beat people down. I, I say some, some awful things to people. I understand there's a time to confront. There's a time to be honest. There's a time to, to tell people, here's what you're dealing with. Here's what you need to do. Uh, but I also know that there's a lot of us as Christians who just walk around in discouragement, who walk around just pointing fingers, telling people some, some really nasty, hateful things. Uh, and I believe it's a poison. I believe it's not what God's called us to be. I believe that God has called us to something better. And so I imagine today, if we were honest, there are many of us in this room that would say, you know what, there's times where my tongue, where my fire is the, gets into the poison of discouragement. And maybe that fleshes itself out with your spouse. Maybe it fleshes itself out with your kids. Maybe it fleshes itself out at work with your boss, with your employees. Um, I don't know what it looks like in your world, but I know in my world, if I'm not careful, I will get into the poison of discouragement. Another poison that scripture talks about many times actually is the poison of complaining. The poison of complaining. Uh, the Israelites walked around in the, the wilderness for 40 years complaining, 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 complaining. And God, in the midst of this 40 years, God does miracle after miracle after miracle that would blow your mind to be a part of. If we saw just one of the miracles that the Israelites did, we would be so just in awe of who God is. And day by day, God literally has his presence with them by a fire by night, by a pillar of cloud by day. He literally feeds them with manna from heaven, with quail from heaven. He's providing every step of the way. By the way, he opens up the Red Sea and lets them walk across on dry land. He sends 10 plagues against their enemies, the Egyptians. Miracle after miracle happens, and yet all the Israelites can do is complain. Well, we don't have this. Well, when we were in, they, they even get to the point where they say, well, when we were slaves in Egypt, we had better food. And God's looking down like, what is wrong with you? Do you not see everything I've done? Do you not see every provision I've given you? All you can do is complain. And it's really easy for us to look at the Israelites and say, man, they got it so wrong. But I think God probably looks at us the same way. I think God probably looks at us in America and sees how much we have, how blessed we are, how incredible our living situation is, and yet we complain about this little thing and that little thing. And I think God's just up at heaven saying, what is wrong with you? What more do I have to give you for you to see how good I am, how much I've blessed you, how great I've been to you? This morning as I was going back over my notes for this message, um, I usually wake up about between four and five on Sunday mornings to kind of refresh and, and make sure that I'm ready. And I was in the middle of doing this this morning at about 6.30, our power went out. 
And I'm talking about the sin of complaining, the poison of complaining. And I'm like, really? The power's out. It's Sunday morning. I've got to take a shower. We need hot water. I need this, like, to come out of the dryer. Da-da-da-da-da. I need this. My computer's going to die. I've got to work on this. And I just, like, go directly to exactly what I'm preaching about. And I start complaining. And I'm like, how, how... like, is God just, like, laughing at me right now? Like, how ridiculous do I look? Um, and as we were on the, the way to church this morning, Melody uh, prayed for our day. We normally, one of us will pray on the way in. And, and she let off it, and she prayed. She was like, God, just thank you for power. Thank you for running water. Like, started thanking God for all these things that I was grumbling about 90 minutes before. And it was so convicting to me and so challenging to me, and yet at the same time so uplifting that, hey, man, I'm so glad my wife gets it. Man, I'm so glad she sees it and has a bigger picture and a bigger perspective. But we can poison ourselves, we can poison others with complaining. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Raise your hand if you've got that one down. I've got that one mastered. I'm on this. I do. <laughs> yeah, right. Mr. Bill raised his hand and then put it right back down. He realized, he, he thought I was saying, Raise your hand if you need to work on that. Uh, so. <laughs> The rest of us didn't put our hand up at all. None of us have this down completely. But, but God's word says do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? Because you're freaking blessed. Because you've got it great. Because you've got a God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you. We have no right, no reason, no room to complain, and yet we fall into it all the time. Man, I'm, I'm so grateful for everything God has done. Basically, complaining is the opposite of gratefulness. Complaining is the essence of ungratefulness, of, of being frustrated with where we are and with what we have in life. And it's a sign of having the wrong perspective. When I was in uh, college and, and a little bit after, I used to wait tables. When I waited tables, uh, there's kind of this like serving culture. And I talk to our students all the time and tell them, man, you better be a generous tipper, man. You better go out of your way. Because the sad thing is the people of God have a really bad reputation in restaurants, that we are the stingiest, cheapest, uh, whiniest, hardest to please people. Uh, and, and that's a really sad thing. And so I think we should be the best. I think people should be glad when we come into the restaurant. And when, when they see us praying over our meal, they should be, man, I got a good table. They're going to take care of me. They're going to compliment me. They're going to encourage me. They're going to bless me. Uh, so that, that's a really important thing to me. But at the same time, let me tell you this. When you work in a restaurant, it is the most like negative, divisive, complaining culture. Uh, you just get trained very early on from the other servers, from the other people around you, that, that everybody's out to get you. Every table is going to be bad. I mean, you look for the reasons to complain. You look for the problem at this table. This table takes too long to order. That table's too impatient. Uh, this table is too detailed in what they want. That table didn't make it very clear. They didn't read the menu. Like, you're just looking for things to complain about. And the biggest complaint all the time, if you ever waited tables, you know this is true, is your tips. Uh, there there is, there is a real truth that there are some stingy, terrible people out there, and I get that, but there's also a truth that we got to be grateful for where we're at. And I know when I was serving, I, I, I gave in to the culture of complaining. Man, I, I gave in to the negativity around me, and I looked for, for times to complain about this tip and that person and this customer instead of being grateful that, that God gave me a job. Instead of being grateful that my bills were paid, that my needs were met. Um, and so I would encourage you. I know this is a big one that I see in my life. Challenge the poison of complaining in your life. If that's you, if you wrestle with this, 
be aware of it. Like, just, just begin to see it, and then we're going to talk about how we can work on it in a little bit. And another poison that I think we struggle with is the poison of flattery. This is a word that we don't use so much in our culture. Uh, we would maybe call it brown nosing or have some other terms for it. Uh, but it's this idea of basically telling somebody what they want to hear, not because we mean it, uh, but because we want something from them. If you're a parent, you've seen this, right? Dad, you're the best daddy in the whole world. What do you want, kid? Like, you brace yourself. They're about to ask for some money. They're about to ask for a raise in their allowance. They're about to ask to go to so-and-so's house to spend the night. Like, there's something coming behind that because they're, they're buttering me up. They're flattering me with their words. And flattery, by the way, can be true. You can tell somebody something that, that is legitimately true, but the thing about flattery is the motivation. The motivation behind flattery is not to build you up. It's not to encourage you. It's to get something from you. It's to get something for myself. And, and I think there's probably more of us who struggle with this than we would necessarily realize. Proverbs 29.5, one of many, many scriptures about flattery, says whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. When we get into flattery, we're trapping people. We are trying to lure them into something that we can get something from them. And the truth is, as I was putting this together, I think I had a little revelation. We do this with God, too. Um, I believe that God is a great God who wants to bless us, who wants to heal us, who wants to be there for us, who wants to provide for us. But I also believe that, that there are times in our life where the only time we ever go to God is, God, you're so good and you're so powerful. I really need you to use some of that power for me right now. Uh, and I think that we can go boldly before the throne of grace. I believe that we can make big, audacious, crazy requests of God. But I also think, just like mom and dad, you don't like to have your kid only come to you. If the only time they're telling you you're a great dad is when they got their hand out, you brace yourself. And I wonder how many of us in here, the only time we tell God he's a great God is when we got our hand out. How many of us, if we were honest, the only time we really worship him, the only time we really focus on him, the only time we ever really talk to him is when we need something from him. And I'm not discouraging you from asking God for stuff. Man, ask him. He says, make your requests known to God. But don't just ask him for stuff. Have a relationship with him. Talk to him. Get to know him. That's why it's so important to develop a habit of worship, not just on Sunday mornings, not just when you go to church, but in your daily life, man, find times to just worship God. Not when you've got a request behind it, not when you've got a need behind it, but when just, God, you're just awesome. God, I just love you. God, I'm just so grateful for who you are, for your grace and your favor and your forgiveness in my life. And I believe if we can develop that habit, then we don't have to listen to the accuser, the enemy come to us and point the finger of questioning our motives when we have to ask God for something. We don't have to worry about, man, is my heart in the right place? Because we've made it a habit to tell him how amazing he is, even when we're not looking for something behind it. So watch out for the poison of flattery. The fourth poison that we can use with our tongues and we're going to look at today is the poison of dishonesty. Poison of telling somebody something that's just flat out not true. And I know that none of us in this room have ever told a lie. I know that we're all honest people who, who have always walked in that. But you'll probably meet somebody who's a liar one day. And so I want to help you know how to deal with them when you do. I'm just kidding. All of us have probably done this at some point in time. I remember when I was in eighth grade, I had a good friend, or I thought I had a good friend, and his name was Clint. And uh, 
Clint had this hugest crush on this girl named Anna. Like, he was just in love with Anna. He was obsessed with Anna. And for some horrible reason, I thought it would be funny to tell Clint that Anna liked him. She didn't. Uh, And so I told Clint, I was like, dude, I got great news for you. Anna's into you, man. What? Are you serious? Yeah, man, totally serious. I I should be in hell. Uh, But... uh, (laughs) Just being real. So I made up this story, and I have no idea why I was such an awful, awful person. Uh, but, but I told him this, and of course he goes to her, and she's like, no, I don't want to go out with you. And he's like crushed. He's heartbroken. And uh, it, it's just a, a horrible, horrible thing to do to somebody. But I think all of us make some really dishonest statements a lot of times. Um, and, and what I saw uh, when researching for this message, I saw a quote that a liar uh, is really somebody who's just a coward, who's afraid of consequences. Because most of the time we lie, we're lying to cover ourselves. We're lying to protect ourselves. No, officer, I didn't know the speed limit was 35 here. Right. Uh, you know, like, like we're, we're cowards. We're, we're telling somebody what we know we're supposed to say or what we know they want to hear to protect ourselves from the negative consequences of our actions. And dishonesty, whether it's the way I did it with Clint, because you're just a terrible human being, or or whether it's trying to cover your own tracks and trying to protect yourself, dishonesty is a poison. It it is a terrible thing. It is not worthy of the people of God. You know what God's word says in John 8, 44? The second half of the verse says this. He says, when he, and this is Jesus talking about Satan. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. Because he's a liar. And he's the father of lies. And so when we lie, get this, understand this, when you lie, when I lie, we are speaking the language of hell. We are speaking the language of Satan, the father of lies. And the opposite is also true. When we speak truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When we speak truth, we are speaking the language of heaven. And we've got to eradicate dishonesty from our lives. We've got to quit lying to each other, to our families, to our, to our classmates, to the people we work with. We've got to begin to walk in honesty. And, and I'll say this too, dishonesty, all of these, they don't just apply with the words that we say. We, they can be written or typed. Obviously, they didn't have Facebook in Jesus' generation. But I think if he did, a lot of this would have been pointed at that. Uh, because we can be very, very fake and very dishonest uh, with our social media profiles. I'll just put that out there as well. Number five, the last poison we're going to look at today is the poison of boasting. The poison of letting pride seep out of our mouths. When boasting is true, it's annoying. Nobody wants to hear how great you think you are, even if it's the truth. And when boasting is not true, it's just sad. When, pe- when people can look at you and, you know, if I'm tell- up here telling you I'm a bodybuilder and I'm doing this and this, you know, dude is smoking something, right? Like, he has not got that together. This life is not matching up with what he's saying. Uh, And when we make great boasts, when we puff ourselves up, most of the time people can see through us. And even if we deceive people into believing it, they're going to figure it out eventually. And and even if it's true, they're just going to look at us and think how sad it is that we're so caught up on ourselves. You know, Christianity, following Jesus, is all about being selfless. It's all about being others-minded. It's about being Christ-minded. And when we brag, when we're prideful, when we boast, we're trying to put us on the stage. We're trying to put us in the spotlight, 
It's just not who God's called us to be. Let other people boast for you. Let other people build you up. Let other people notice the things that you're doing, the the great attributes that you have, your gifts, your abilities. Let other people speak that. You don't need to be the one to speak it for yourself. It's so much more meaningful when somebody else points it out. You know what James 4, 6 says? It says that God opposes the proud. When we walk in arrogance, when we speak boasts, when we're constantly puffing ourselves up, we are putting ourselves on the other team from God. And no... God never loses. If you're lining up on the other line of scrimmage, you're going to get blown up. You're going to get pancake blocked. He's going to run all over you. He's going to score the touchdown if God is opposing you. Why would we ever put ourselves opposite from God? It says that God opposes the proud. There is good news. There's, in fact, great news. It's that that we don't have to walk in this poison. We don't have to be discouragers. We don't have to be flatterers. We don't have to be complainers. We don't have to walk in any of this in our lives and in our relationships. Uh, there's a, a legend out there, and I don't know if this is true or not, but legend has it that there was a traveling minister, <laughs> and he traveled to a, to a small village that he'd never been to before. And as he arrives in this village, a, a mother comes out, and she's got a sick child, and she's like, please, 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 won't you pray for my daughter? that she would be healed. And so a crowd kind of gathers around. Not much really happens in this town. And so they want to see what's this traveling minister all about. Is he really who he says he is? Does he really have any ability? And so they, they gather around to watch him pray for this girl. And as he lays hands on this girl and, and she's crying out to God for God to heal this girl, somebody from the crowd interrupts. And this guy who, who's mid-50s, kind of older, a little bit, a little bitter guy, yells out and he's like, what makes you think that your words can heal that girl? When everything that we've tried, with all the medicine and the doctors, everything we've tried hasn't worked. And the minister reacts the complete opposite way of how everyone's expecting. He looks up over at the guy and he says, shut up, you idiot. And everybody kind of gasps. And the dude, like, freaks out. Like, he just goes into this rage. He, he, you can see the red face take over him. You can see the heat rise up at what he says. And he rushes over to the minister, and he's balled up his fist, and nobody knows if he's going to hit him or what is he going to do. And the minister turns and looks at him, and he says, if my words could make you that angry, what makes you think that my words cannot also heal? See, we know that words have power. Every one of us has experienced the negative power of words. What if we actually believed that it wasn't just a negative power? What if we actually believed that it wasn't just a poison? What if we truly believed the word of God? Because this is what God's word says in Proverbs 18, verse 21. It says that the tongue, your tongue and my tongue, has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruits. You see, your tongue is not just a poison. Your tongue has incredible potential. Your ability to speak, to confess, to encourage, to build up is limitless. God says you've got the power of life in your tongue. And I'm so glad that we do. And we don't need to just look at the negative of what happens when we let our tongues get away from us. And we, all of us have experienced it. All of us have been on the receiving end. We've been the victim of some horrible things that someone has said. And many of us have been like me. And we've been the guilty party who said some horrible things. But it doesn't just stop there. Instead of simply discouraging others, we can learn to walk in encouragement. 
we can learn to build others up. I'm going to read you a text message I got this morning. Uh, Vince Carlisle, one of our just awesome, awesome uh, members here at City Church, he had to work this morning. And so he sent me this text at 8.54. He said, hey, man, it's dumb I can't be there this morning. But I'm praying for you in City Church this morning. I know God will speak through you and through people. Love you, brother. Awesome little encouragement to get as I'm preparing for service this morning to know that, that even those who aren't here would be thinking of us, would be praying for us, would be praying for you today, that God would speak to you even when they can't be here. And we have many who are, who are out this weekend uh, traveling to see family for the holidays and others who are at work and things. But what an awesome reminder for me to receive this morning just to see the power of words, the power to encourage. Rather than complaining, and walking in a lack of gratitude, we can learn to be grateful. We can learn to look for opportunities to say thank you. Parents, how many of you would love if your child learned to walk in gratitude? What, how different would your house be if all of a sudden every time you made a meal or washed an article of clothing or gave something for them or went to work so they could have lights or heat or air conditioning, what if every time you did something for your kid they actually recognized it and thanked you for it? How different would your life be? be amazingly different. Well, you can't control what your kids do, but you can control what you do. You can seize that attitude of gratitude that you'd love to see in your family and begin to model it, begin to show it to them, begin to to speak life into them every time they do something well, to compliment them for it, to thank them for it, just to thank others around you instead of looking for opportunities to complain and be ungrateful. We can stop flattering others with selfish motives and begin to build them up legitimately. Rather than telling others, hey man, your hair looks good today because I want you to like me, I can tell you, man, you're looking good today because I want you to be encouraged because I want to build you up. Instead of doing things for ourselves and flattering, we can genuinely compliment others. We don't have to follow, follow the father of lies and dishonesty. We don't. We can follow the father of truth and we can be like Jesus and we can walk in the light. We can walk in truth. We can walk in genuine honesty. Instead of boasting in ourselves, there is one exception the Bible makes for boasting. Many times, over and over and over, the Bible tells us to boast in the Lord. We don't need to talk about how great we are because we're not that great. But we better be talking about how great he is, how incredible his love is for us, how amazing his grace is in our lives. We need to begin to boast in Jesus James 4, 6, I told you just a moment ago that God opposes the proud. The verse doesn't actually end there. You know what it says? It says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I know I need more of God's grace in my life. I know I need more of God's grace to shine, to, to wash away my sins. I'm so grateful for the blood of Jesus that still washes away our sins. I'm so grateful for who God is and, and what he's doing in my life and as the worship team Get set up. We're going to wrap service up a little bit different today. We're going to end things and, and close things in kind of a different way. Here's what I want to do. Here's the question that I believe that God gave to me this week. I think that God asked me, what if? What if I actually looked at these five poisons and, and looked at how they flesh out in my life, and some of them are stronger in me and, and maybe not as strong Some of them are stronger than others, but what if I actually got these under control? What if I actually this week looked to encourage instead of discourage? What if this week I actually looked 
to show gratitude rather than complain? What if this week I actually looked to compliment instead of flatter? What if this week I actually looked to boast in Jesus rather than boasting in myself? What if I did that for one week? What would my life look like? And I like the thought of it. I don't know if I can do it, but I like the thought of it. I know I want to chase after it. I know I want to sell out to it. And so I want to ask you the same question. I want to invite you on that same journey. What if you actually just picked out one of those five that you think is the worst in your life, the one that you're struggling with the most right now? Maybe you're a discourager. Maybe you're a complainer. Maybe you're a flatterer. Maybe you're a deceiver. I don't know what one you struggle with the most. I know what one I do. But what if you just picked out that one and you just said, this week I am going to surrender my tongue to Jesus. This week I'm going to surrender the way that I talk, the way that I conversate, the way I communicate, and I'm going to give this area over to Christ. I'm not going to lie. No matter what this week, I'm going to walk in honesty and integrity. I'm not going to discourage. I'm not going to tear down. No matter what happens this week, I'm going to build others up. I don't care how bad things get for me. I don't care how hard it is. I'm going to speak life into others. What if you did that for one week? How different would your family be? How different would your workplace be? How different would your school be, young person? How different would your relationship with God be? If you did that for one week, so as the worship team is about to lead us in this song, Surrender, here's what I bid you to do today. I want you to surrender whichever one of these five poisons God's speaking to you about right now. And maybe for you it's more than one. I know for me it's more than one. But I want you to pick at least one, and I want you to give it to God. Honestly and directly, I just want you to go before him. I want you to repent for whatever it is that he's laid on your heart that, that you've gotten out of whack in this area. Just ask him to forgive you, God. I see now the error of my ways. I see how I've been deceitful. I see how I've been negative. I see how I've complained despite being so blessed. Whatever it is, just repent and then ask him to empower you through his Holy Spirit to give him one week. Because here's what I believe. I believe if we give him one week, we're going to want to give him another one and another one. I think if we can do this between today and next Sunday in whatever area it is, we're going to start to reverse some bad habits in our life and we're going to start to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start to be Proverbs 18, 21 people who don't just have the power of death in our tongue, but who use the power of life. And here's what I know. We got a community that needs some life. We got some people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at work, in our families, in our homes who need us to be people of God who speak life into our situations and not death. So let's do that. If you would, just at your seat, just bow your head and begin to talk to God, whatever situation it may be. Just give it over to him. The worship team's going to sing over us, and they're going to sing about surrender. And once you've done praying, if you want to, you can stand and worship with us.